Support for this episode of Science Moab comes from the Colorado Plateau Foundation, a Native-led philanthropic institution supporting Native-led organizations, protecting water, sacred places, and endangered landscapes, preserving Native languages, and uplifting sustainable community-based agriculture. Since 2012, the Colorado Plateau Foundation has awarded $2.8 million to over 100 Native-led initiatives across the Colorado Plateau. More information is available at coloradoplateaufoundation.org. This is Science Moab, a show exploring the science happening in Southeast Utah and the Colorado Plateau. I'm Christina Young, and today we're talking with Cynthia Wilson about food sovereignty and rematriation within the Bears Ears region. Hello everyone, my name is Cynthia Wilson. I am uh, the Folded Arms People's Clan and born for the Towering House Clan. I'm born and raised in Monument Valley, Utah, and the work that I do is related to food sovereignty work under a native-led nonprofit called Utah Denebikea as their traditional foods program director. And I'm also a co-founder with the Women of Bears Ears group. Our overall goal is under the lens of rematriation of the earth and restoring our matrilineal ties to our ancestral responsibilities, which includes our ancestral ties to the landscape, to our food, and to everything that makes up who we are as the five-fingered earth peoples. That's what I do as of now. I wanted to start by hearing kind of your pathway and your journey into traditional foods and what got you interested in, in, you know, going in that direction and working with traditional food sources. My educational background is in nutrition. I did my undergrad at Southern Utah University. I received my Bachelor of Science degree in human nutrition. And I also went to University of Utah for graduate school and got my Master of Science degree in nutrition. My professional goal has always been becoming a registered dietitian because of the high rates of diabetes, cardiovascular disease, and chronic health issues among indigenous communities and also among my own family. So that's always been an interest in wanting to do something in healthcare. But through my work, working at the grassroots level has really changed my insight in what nutrition truly is and how we can better serve and help our community at the local level. So with that, I was raised traditionally by my grandparents and my parents. My maternal grandfather was a well-known medicine man by the name of Billy Yellow. And through his teachings, I learned a lot about our cultural way of life and the meanings be behind that, especially as a woman and going through our puberty ceremony 
what we call Kinal dust ceremony, where we emulate the image of changing woman, which is one of our deities in our creation stories, just thinking about our roles as women and upholding our ancestral responsibilities to occupying this space and where we are, such as I was always taught that we don't own the land, the land owns us and it is our obligation, it's our duty to give back to the landscape and to always build our relationship through providing offerings to the landscape before we are gifted with the foods and the medicines that come off the landscape or even for economic development, such as harvesting material items from the plants. So part of uh, the initiative that I've been putting out there is really how can we restore who we truly are through our cultural teachings and how we can sustain those teachings for the younger generation. So during this listening phase, I did a lot of elder interviews with our traditional knowledge holders, our traditional food experts, including farmers throughout the Four Corners region, and even the indigenous cooks and our medicine people. So I started this traditional foods program by listening and the way we reached out to our elders during this interview was really talking from the lens of personhood. When we talk about food, it's not just something that we consume and swallow for its nutrition qualities. We talked about food in a way of who is this food relative? Is it a male or a female? What gifts does this food relative offer? And how do we act in reciprocity? What are the consequences in the way we behave and approach uh, this, this plant relative, for example? And what powers does this plant relative provide for us? And how do we act as far as in reverence when we do our offerings? And speaking to elders in that way, they truly understand where you are coming from. And they respond with more details and how it connects to our creation stories since the beginning of our time as the Neh people. So listening directly from our knowledge holders really opened my interest in how we really need to reconnect back to our ancestral teachings. So I set aside a lot of the Western sciences of what nutrition really means and really dug deep into understanding what nutrition means holistically from our cultural standpoint, how what we eat is not just something that provides nutrients, but how we relate to our plant relatives and how we act on the landscape. And even how we behave has consequences to our relationship to our ancestral landscapes. And a lot of these consequences could be related to the climate crisis that we are facing today. 
I would love to hear specifically, you know, you mentioned some projects that you have been doing with the community. Can you describe a few more of the projects that you have been working on? Yeah. One of the projects that I've been working on is also restoring the Four Corners potato, which is a wild potato that grows throughout the Four Corners region and that's uh, native to this region. I work in partnership with the University of Utah researchers who dated a potato starch residue on an old grinding stone back to 11,000 years. My part of the work has been really acknowledging that this is something tribes have always known, that our diet was always rich in these food sources that has been taken away from us through policies and providing boundaries around our ancestral landscapes like Baird's Ears, which is now public lands. So with this potato, it's it's commonly tied to archaeological sites uh, where there has been history of where people had lived and farmed and it's very drought resistant. The Four Corners potato can stay doormat for up to eight years and depending on monsoon season. Nutrition-wise, it has doubled the protein, zinc, and manganese, and it has tripled the iron calcium content than a modern potato. Uh, so it's very filling and has a very earthly flavor. And it's something that we have been distributing through the Four Corners region to uh, indigenous farmers that were interested in growing the potato. So we were able to partner with potato cultivation partners who are indigenous farmers throughout the Four Corners region. Our first training consisted of six farmers and our second training this past year, uh, we went up to 20 new indigenous farmers that took home these tubers to grow this season. But we always received our calcium sources from our traditional foods like the potato and also like the juniper branches where we burn it and use the ash in our cooking dishes. And that's how we got our calcium content. So many of these teachings is what I want to bring light into our communities, that this is something that we've always known and we just need to restore our cultural memories through our food systems and bring those teachings back into our families and in our diet so that we can combat uh, diabetes that was put upon us and so that we can live healthier lifestyles just like our ancestors did. So that's where this potato project is coming from. I was wondering if there were things that you wanted to talk about or cover or directions that you wanted to go in um, that we haven't touched on yet. Yeah, I think for me as a Dine woman, I was brought into this world through my clan mothers. And I think when we talk a lot about our clan mothers, they know a lot about their environment and their landscape because they stay to 
one place since time immemorial, whereas if it were the in-laws, my brothers, if they married, they have to move to their wives' home ground. So when you talk about clan mothers, it really brings a lot of teachings of where and who our plant relatives are within that space that they live in and where the waters are, the rainwaters, what animals live there, where the hunting grounds are. And so I think a lot of this teachings coming from our mothers is also something that our elders talk a lot about because we were originally matrilineal society as Dene people. And even a lot of our teachings come from changing women and how she overseen the vegetation of the mountains and how I see it as an, an ancestral responsibility to be a caretaker of these places, especially knowing the teachings that have came before us from our mothers that had been living there. And as indigenous people, we were never tied to one place we were always moving with the seasons as a way to preserve the landscape. And that within itself really destructed our food system and the way we protect our landscape because of these boundaries that have been put in place by the federal government and by the state government. And now we are just placed on reservation land that is dried out and that has a lot of issues with drought. And just coming from my own experience uh, growing up in the Monument Valley, I don't see a lot of changes that has been happening on the ground with these different government systems, including like the Navajo Nation. We still, in my community, a lot of our community members still lack access to running water and electricity. So working for a nonprofit, we were able to initiate projects such as providing families without running water with 275 gallon water tank. When the pandemic hit, we were able to raise money to purchase over 700 of those 275 gallon water tank to to families throughout San Juan County, Utah, and beyond within Arizona, families that also lack access to running water. So I feel that the work we do through a nonprofit initiates more immediate challenges that our communities face opposed to the political structures that delay these simple basic infrastructure needs that our communities face. Yeah, thank you for bringing that up. I guess a follow-up question is, what do you want to see? Like, what what are your visions moving forward? A lot of my work has really made me think about what really needs to happen next after listening to our knowledge holders our medicine people and the elders of our communities, they spoke a lot to how we need to engage our youth, that they should continue these cultural teachings 
and they should understand who we are as Dene people since our creation stories and how we are built to live through things like the pandemic by using our traditional knowledge systems of knowing our foods, knowing our waters, knowing our mountains, our non-human relatives that is in our surroundings and in our environment and also respecting who lives within us. Using our language is something that gives us healing. I really believe that acknowledging and educating our youth to speak their language is something very important when we talk about land management planning and we talk about being present in this world and in this environment. Using our language really activates a lot of our connections to our place. And that includes singing the songs in our language, saying our prayers in our language. The work with the Women of Bear's Ears is what I want to build on in restoring our matrilineal ties to who we are as women and how we can encourage and uplift our children and the younger generation. How can we encourage our communities that to uplift our women who are the nurturers and who are the knowledge holders of the ancestral landscapes that they are surrounded by. When teachings come from women, they are the one that uh, fully inspire the youth to make change in the community and to live up to who they are as individuals and how they can be present in this space to acknowledge their cultural teachings and to acknowledge that they are rooted to Mother Earth and they are connected to the universe from the top of their heads and throughout their surroundings for as long as they respect their inner spiritual holy air people that lives within them. How to take advantage of those gifts that we are offered and from the knowledge since our creation stories, I think really strengthens us to uphold our responsibilities as Earth surface people in protecting these landscapes. Well, Cynthia, I want to thank you so much for your time and for sharing all of this with us. Yeah, it was really wonderful getting to speak with you about all of this. Thank you, too, for the opportunity to share the work that we do. To learn more or listen to more Science Moab episodes, visit sciencemoab.org or anywhere you get your podcasts. Science Moab Media is by Sophia Fisher. Newsletter is by Rhonda Cook. Our theme music is by Jeremy Spalding. And the show is produced by Peggy Hodgkins, Christina Young, and KZMU. If you love Science Moab, let us know. Leave a rating on Spotify or a review on iTunes. And consider supporting Science Moab by donating to the podcast at sciencemoab.org. This programming is unique to Moab, Utah, and your support makes it possible.